All right. We are in Mark, continuing through this series. We are coming to the end of chapter 4, so if you would turn your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at the last, what, seven verses, starting at verse 35. So once you've got that, if you would stand with me as we read through this. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. Starting in verse 35, it says, And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, with the waves, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we can... Look at it and find hope and encouragement. Father, we pray that you would just bless us this morning. Bless us with your word that we might um, be challenged. We might learn from you. So Lord, we just ask that in Jesus' name you would speak. You'd speak a mighty word. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to walk through the story and kind of dive into some various parts. There are so many fascinating phrases and insights that uh, have been encouraging, have been challenging. This has been a week of the Lord uh, showing me the very essence of this sermon in my own life. So uh, let's just start as we, we look at it. Uh, we're going to look at this um, in context. You know, if you flip through Mark chapter kind of three, the end of three into chapter four, you'll notice that we just finished talking about the parables. That Jesus, at the start of chapter four, it says that he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. And, and he goes on, he teaches the parable of the sower and the, the soils, and he teaches through that and then he gathers his disciples aside privately and they ask him to explain it so he explains it and then uh, I don't know what the time frame is or how it works but it's all in the same day Jesus then starts teaching whether it's the crowd specifically or his disciples specifically and he teaches some more parables three more says to them about a lamp and, and then he talks about the seed growth pardon me, growing, and then the mustard seed, and then uh, he kind of wraps all this up. And our text starts with, and on that day when evening had come, Jesus is now going to take the very words and the stories he's been teaching and bring them into a real life experience. And it's quite the real life experience. And I think it is very significant for us today. And we're going to look at this section, these you know, seven verses or so, and, and we're going to look at them in three parts. The first part is the invitation. Okay, The invitation. It all starts with an invitation. 
And this invitation to me as I've looked at it this week has said a whole bunch. It's really an incredible uh, uh, invitation. It's an invitation from this text and it expresses a number of lessons about Jesus and we can transition them to us very quickly and hopefully you'll see it. There's, there's seven different aspects of this invitation that I want us to notice based on the text. So it starts out with, On that day when evening had come, He said to them, The first thing about this invitation I want you to notice is that it is a priority. It is a priority. Keep in mind, we just walked through He's been teaching all day. He's been pouring out his, his heart in stories and lessons you know, with somebody who is, is wanting people to understand who he is and what his purpose for coming is. And, and in the midst of that, he's, he's gone through all this. And at the very end of the day, he says, come, let us go. Understand the priority of that, that that. So oftentimes for me, when I go and work a long, hard day, the last thing I want to do is spend more time doing more ministry. But here's Jesus. He, he, he's obviously tired. We know He's tired because we'll see later on in the passage that He falls asleep in a storm. He's looking at His disciples and He says, let us go. You know why? Because people are a priority to Him. We all have different capacities, don't we? We all have things that wear us down. We all have things, but Jesus is, is fully human, which is something I can't quite grasp and comprehend, but He says, you know what? Let us go. You are a priority. He had been teaching all day. His energy level was not an excuse for Him to skip out. The invitation expresses a priority. But it's not just a priority. He says, let us go across the other side across to the other side it is also progressive the invitation is progressive what do i mean by that he said let us go across to the other side you need to understand the context of what's going on here you're at the sea of galilee and on the other side the disciples would have known what that meant the other side was the gentile side and if you understand Jewish culture, the Jew was not to come in contact with the Gentile. The Jew was not to go to the Gentile. Jesus is always pushing made, man-made boundaries of ministry. You look at Jesus when He goes to Samaria, another place where He had, had no business being. He's ministering to a woman at the well. Oftentimes, we look at Jesus' ministry, and it's the other side. It's the Gentile side as well, and He is always pushing for that because He knows that the Gospel is for all people. And so His invitation is progressive because Jesus looks at people in a far different perspective than we do. Ministry with Jesus is often not how we envision it. It challenges our preconceived notions and biases. So Jesus' invitation and this invitation is the same for us today. It is a priority. It is progressive. But notice what else it says. It says, in leaving the crowd, in leaving the crowd, it is personal. He doesn't seek a crowd. He seeks individuals out of the crowd. He wants His invitation to be personal to you and you only. He's calling us. That's the church, is it not? Ecclesia, called out ones. 
from two Greek words, ek meaning out, and ecclesia called to call out from. That's what the church consists of, people called out from the crowd, out from the world. Jesus is looking for individuals. He is personally inviting. Leaving the crowd, we're going to break this up. This is fascinating to me. They took him with them in the boat, it says. It's a priority, it's progressive, it's personal, it is present. It says they took him with them. His invitation is that he will be with. Where he sends, he goes. And he does not go or call where he does not willing to go with you. Matthew 28, 20, at the end of his uh, uh, message to the disciples before he ascended back up into heaven, he says, and lo, I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we read, the Lord is my helper. He is with me always. The invitation of Jesus, and you can look at this however you want. You can analogize it and, 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 and spiritualize it. The reality is here is Jesus giving us a picture of what the great invitation that he offers to all humanity is. It's that it's a priority to him, that it is, it is personal, that it is progressive into a different mindset that the Holy Spirit will transform our minds and renew us in a way that he who is in Christ is a new creation. And it is present that He will go with them. And then notice this little phrase. With them in the boat, just as He was. First time I read this passage, that stuck to me. Couldn't get over that. Just as He was. Simple little phrase. Just as He was. You know what that means? It means that His invitation is also prompt. That He is ready and willing whenever. Brothers and sisters, there are some here today that need the Lord to be present in their life and they need Him now. Well, He's ready. He's offering His invitation. He's saying, I'm ready just as I am right now. They, they didn't have to wait until he, he didn't say, hey, hang on, I've got to go grab my cloak and my shoes and, and, and my raincoat because there might be a storm coming. No, just as He was. He had just finished preaching. He had just finished teaching all day. If you guys think I'm long-winded... He preached all day. And he didn't stop and say, you know what, i got to take a nap first. No, just as he was, he went. Prompt. There's another phrase that stood out to me. This was a section of incredible phrases that you can so quickly miss over. And it says, and other boats were with him. The invitation is also privileged. There were other boats, but they didn't have Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus, but only one boat had Jesus and his specific invited disciples. The calling of Jesus is privileged that you get to be with Jesus. There were other boats gathering around. He left a crowd on the land, got into a boat, and a crowd of people started getting into boats and tried to follow Jesus, but only one boat had Jesus in it. And Jesus is saying, come, be in my boat. And then verse 37 starts, and a great windstorm arose. Because last but not least, the invitation of Jesus is also provoking. 
that those who follow after Jesus stir up the forces of darkness and trials and tribulations. They are coming. That's a scary thing. Many of us are sitting here today saying, yes, I know, I am experiencing the trials and tribulations. There is a great windstorm that has arisen suddenly and out of the darkness and out of the blue, it just came up out of nowhere. Jesus does not promise personal comfort in the call. He never does. In fact, he says in John chapter 16, when he looks at his disciples, and he says that here's what I can promise you, trials and tribulations. And in Matthew chapter 10, he says, many will persecute you because of my name. And so we have the invitation is an incredible invitation. It's one of a priority. It's progressive. It's present. It is personal. It is prompt. It is privileged and it is provoking. And suddenly now the storm arises and we have not just an invitation, but an incident. We're going to walk through this incident and, and look at a couple of things. As the storm rises, the lesson of Jesus begins with his disciples. And the first thing that we ought to realize as we walk through this incident uh, is a recognition. And what is the recognition? The recognition is that the storms of life are very real. They are real. This isn't just um, some overreaction. Okay, The storms, they can be serious, and they are oftentimes serious in life. They're hard. They're very hard. They're difficult. They're very serious. Notice what the text tells us about the storm. It says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. We can picture this. This Galilean sea, <coughs> suddenly a, a cyclone is what the kind of the original Greek implies, that it was this incredible storm that came down upon the sea and it's been documented and you can look throughout history that this happens frequently that sudden uh, storms and it's based on on the mountains surrounding the sea of galilee and how it's below or something i don't understand weather geographical things but i know that documentation tells us that this happens frequently so they get on the sea, it's, it's a very serious thing notice what he said he says the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was filling. Matthew actually, in telling the same story, uses the word swamped. And the Greek word for swamp means that it was covering over the boat. Okay, it was covering over. And in Luke, he tells us that they were filling, the boats were filling with water and were in danger. It's not just an overreaction. It is serious. And sometimes our storms in life, whatever they might be, the things that we are facing, it is okay to recognize that they are serious. It's not just an overreaction. They are serious things. But they're not just serious, they, they're scary too. These were trained, I want you to get this, these were trained professional fishermen in their home location where they would fish all the time on the Sea of Galilee, and they were so scared that they went and woke Jesus up. I mean, think about that. These weren't amateurs. These were guys that their livelihood was to fish on this very sea. They spent their days fishing and, and, and on this sea in boats, and they were scared. That should tell us 
that this was not just an overreaction, but a very serious moment. And it was scary. And, and so oftentimes in our own lives, when we are facing difficulties and we're facing trials and tribulation, it is okay to recognize that these things are scary. And it's okay for somebody else to come and recognize with you that it's scary. It's okay. Another aspect that we can also see when we consider that the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, it's going to sink, is that oftentimes these storms are also satanic. I mean, is that not his tactic in life? To weigh us down? To fill our, our, our lives with so much dread and sorrow and shame that we are weighed down? That the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us cast off every weight, every sin that so easily besets us, that keeps us from moving forward, that keeps us from going. Is it not Satan's tactic to, to flood us and to weigh us down as followers of Jesus? In fact, M- Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 4 here about how uh, the, the cares of this world and the various things of this life can, can rise up and choke out the work of God. It's important for us to recognize. It's important for us to recognize when we are in the midst of the storms of life. But there's also a reality in this that I found fascinating. This is a phrase that turned this text on its head for me. So you can read what Mark is saying. He's saying, yeah, there is, he's describing this storm. He says, a sudden great storm rose up, and he's very pictorial, and you can visualize the, the waves breaking and collapsing over into the boat, and the boat filling up, and in the midst of that, you know, it's almost like Mark is saying, yeah, the storm was very real, it was dangerous, it was scary, the boat was filling with flood, and, and it was going to sink, and we were at this critical point, and there's a word that I want you to circle, highlight, whatever you do with your Bible, it says but you notice that so after all of this description he says but and this incredible phrase right after it but he was in the stern who Jesus he was in the stern in the midst of this horrible storm, this, this horrific, uh, the, the Satanist throwing all of his rage and hatred towards the disciples and towards Jesus trying to destroy the Son of Man on earth. But, a massive oversight if we read over it, but he was in the stern. He was there. Notice two things about that. His location He was right there. He had always been there. He had never left them. In the midst of the storm, he was right there. These boats are like 28 feet long. He's always been in reaching distance. Jesus is right there. The stern of all places, the stern, it's where the rudder is. It's where the boat's direction goes. I think so oftentimes in the midst of a storm, We look around and we say, where? Where is he? 
And he's right there. And notice not just his location, but also his concern. This was fascinating to me. It says he was in the stern, what? Asleep on the cushion. His concern. He was sleeping in a great storm. Let that sink in, okay? I want you to grasp that. They were in a great storm. The boat is sinking, professional sailors, scared out of their mind, and Jesus is sleeping. What does that tell us about Jesus? First of all, it tells us he was tired. He'd been preaching all day. He was tired, so he's sleeping. But it also tells us he wasn't concerned. He wasn't concerned. Why? Because he was never in danger. How could he sleep in a great storm? Because he's not concerned, because he was never in danger. How, what could the ruler of the universe who made the wind, who made the seas, who controls all things, what could he possibly be concerned about? <laughs> I find it interesting that Jesus standing before Pilate, Pilate says, why don't you answer me? Don't you know what authority I have? Don't you know what I have the ability to do? And Jesus says an incredible statement. He says, Pilate, you have no authority except what has been given to you by my Father. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples at his ascension, he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. Psalm 8, verse 6 tells us the reality is about speaking about the Son of Man. He had been made a little lower than the the angels. He had been put on earth. It says, you have given Him dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under His feet. He was never in danger. And He was right there with them. And guess what? He's right there with us in the midst of our storm. There's this reality, but he was in the stern. There are so many times in life that we must ask ourselves, where is he? He's in the stern. Never left. Always within reaching distance. The other aspect that I want us to see here before we move to the third point is the responses. Two responses. Notice the response of the disciples so he's in the stern they wake him up and they say to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing the disciples literally rebuke jesus they literally they come and they're like jesus and and and, and understand this this is a serious and a very false accusation Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And and we look at that and we say, man, those guys were idiots. Where does that come from? It comes from one thing, and this is going to be the the end of, of what we see here. It comes from one thing. It comes from fear. It always comes from fear. Fear breeds Uh, irrational behavior it breeds irrational uh, words and statements it is it is this horrifying thing that 
causes us to do all kinds of things. And don't think, by the way, because I've done this so many times. I read Scripture and I'm like, man, those guys were idiots. Don't think for a second that you haven't done the same thing. Because when we are in fear, what do we say? God, don't you know what's going on in my life right now? God, why won't you answer my prayer? God, why won't you take care of this problem? Do you not care? I mean, the Scriptures are filled with men who, who do it. The Scriptures tell us of, in, in over and over again of people who say, God, hear my prayer. Why aren't you answering me? Lamentations chapter 3, uh, and starting at verse 55, it says, I called on your name from the depths of the pit. You hear my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. Psalm 55, 1 says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. In Isaiah chapter 40, the, this incredible passage, it kind of comes to a crescendo and it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable in isaiah he later on would talk about how uh, uh, how he does not forget his people he does not ignore people's pleas it says can a nursing mother forget her child forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb even these may forget but i will not forget you Then Jesus gets up and he offers a second rebuke. It says he awoke, three, three verbs here. He awoke, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace be still. It literally means be muzzled. Like a pack of roaring dogs. And he sits there and he says, be muzzled, stop. And you get this response, it obeys. Strife is taken away. The, the wind was what was causing all the, the actions. And, and what a picture there. And a and, and, uh, side note you could make that in the midst of your chaos, if we cry out to the Lord, He can literally, in that moment, take away the thing that is causing it. He can. And one of the things that I appreciate about this text is that Jesus has just been rebuked in a very uh, spiteful way almost, that they come to Him and say, why don't you care about us? I mean, this man who had, who had called them and, and declares his love for them, spends day and after day with them and loving them and, and building this bond of brotherhood. And he's been uh, performing miracles in front of them and doing all these things. And then he takes the time to pull them aside and explain stories to them. You can see the depth of his love for them. And they just come to him and they say, Jesus, why don't you care about us? And in spite of that... He still takes care of the problem. I don't know. Maybe it's good that I'm not Jesus because if you come at me like that, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know what? I can walk on the water. See you later. Enjoy the storm. You're going to treat me like that. But he doesn't. That's an incredible note of encouragement for me that even though they were 100% wrong, he still helps them. And I know that's important for me because I am 
almost always 100% wrong. And notice the result. The wind has ceased and what? And there was a great calm. This is what he offers those who come to him. In the midst of storm, in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, those who come to the stern, he offers not just calm, great calm. I mentioned earlier his invitation is not to personal comfort, but his result is peace in the storm. And the last part of this text is what I would just simply call the identification. Jesus, seizing the opportunity, now turns to his disciples after having uh, been rebuked by them and then going and rebuking the wind and, and, and showing and demonstrating his power. He turns and he offers them this important, incredible lesson that we ought to be asking and evaluating for our own lives. He starts with a check. He says, why were you so afraid? Why were you so afraid? Is he not the ruler of all things? We have to be asking ourselves these questions. We, I don't know about you, but I can be a fearful person. I know that when things start going wrong, I become fearful. I think of the, the worst case scenario. And this is a very legitimate question that we ought to be asking ourselves on a regular basis when we face fear. Is he not the ruler of all things? Why am I afraid? Is he sovereign? Is he not present with you at all times? Is he not there with you in the midst of the storm? Is he not present? Could something possibly happen without his knowledge or consent? So Isaiah 45, starting at verse 6, says that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah 14, 24, The Lord of hosts has sworn, As I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Job 12, verse 10, In His hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Matthew 10, 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father knowing? And of course, Romans 8, 28, We know that all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. Why are you so afraid? When we are in despair, we ought to be asking ourselves this question over and over again. Why am I so afraid? What am I afraid of? You know what the Bible has, at least this is what I've read. I haven't actually done the research, but this is what it says, that there are 365 times where it says, fear not or do not fear. One for each day of the year. Gee, I wonder why. Because we need a reminder on a daily basis. What are you so afraid of? Remember, they're real. The storms are real. I'm not going to deny them. I'm not going to overreact to them. They are real and they are going on in your life. But the question is, why are you afraid? And then Jesus asks a second question, which tells us the cause of it. Have you still no faith? The source of fear is always a lack of 
faith. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen him teach with new authority. They had seen him heal the sick. They even left their own livelihoods to follow after him because they believed he was the Messiah, but they did not trust him as God. They did not trust that he was able to do all things. They didn't trust him yet. So Jesus asked, do you still have no faith? And then we get this last verse that that I find fascinating. It says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There's a caution here. It says that they were filled with fear. Now I know that some may want to say that this is just reverence, and I think there might be an aspect of that. The word is phobos. They were trembling in fear because they'd just seen a man whom they accused of not caring have control over nature. And I think there was a real fear, not just reverence. There's an aspect of that, but they were trembling. And why? Because they didn't trust Him. And He showed them a glimpse of His power. And here's the reality, brothers and sisters. When we walk through this and we realize that we aren't trusting Him, He has not called us to a life of fear. He's not called us to a life of fear, but He's called us to faith and hope. In 1 John 4, 18, we are told that perfect love, the love of Jesus Christ, which is perfect, it casts out fear. That there is no fear in it. And in 2 Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so you walk through this text, and I want us to understand the, the, the nature of what's going on here. And it's an incredible story, and it's a story that we, if we, we dive deep into it, we can see the reality, the, the microcosm of the gospel, which is the first and foremost question that should be asked is, have I accepted the invitation that Jesus has laid out for me? That he has offered, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That I give you life and life more abundant. That you who are dying in your sins can find eternal redemption in the sacrifice that I have made on the cross for you. And we ought to be asking ourselves, first of all, have I received and accepted that? Have I trusted that? But there's something else that I found fascinating in this text. There are three uses of the word megas in this text. Megas, the Greek word meaning great. I'm still trying to piece at that. What does that mean? But I found it fascinating that Mark uses it three times. He says, a megas windstorm, megas calm, and megas fear. And they all kind of intertwine with these three different aspects of this text. And here's the reality. Windstorms, the storms of life, they are real in your life. You won't avoid them, but Jesus will go with you into them. That following after Jesus is an invitation to the great megas storms that will come because of trials and tribulation. You know why? Because the forces of darkness. And if you don't believe in the spiritual realm, you've got a rude awakening when you walk into a life with Jesus Christ. They're very real. 
But what is offered by Jesus is great calm for those who trust Him. And there's also great fear taken by those who do not trust Him. This has been a personal lesson for me this week as I've walked through some, some storms and, and, and I find it fascinating sometimes when Jesus wants to teach me very specifically the lesson He wants me to preach on. Last Sunday, I would have told you that it's a great week. You know, we have a, a, a side thing that we do with breeding dogs, and, and, and it's a great uh, supplemental thing that we are able to give more to various missions things, and we're able to go on missions trips, and we enjoy doing it. And, and, and so last week, I would have been like, yeah, it's a great week. This is the end of our time with these puppies, okay? So if you ever want to learn about raising puppies, know that the first, like, four weeks is fun. And the last four weeks is awful because they are pooping machines. You can edit that out of the tech, out of the recording. And last week was great. We we're getting ready to send them all off until a virus broke out. A very serious virus. And, uh, three of them, four of them had already left. And three of those have already died. And two more have died at our house after spending weeks with IVs and, 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 and all kinds of stuff and, and spending hours bleaching your entire house and, and bleaching your barn. All kinds of things. And I'm getting texts. What are you going to do about this? And, and it's been a costly week. And I'm sitting here saying, God... You know, I prayed, why won't you just heal these dogs? You know, you say in your word that in your hands are all living things. And the lesson of my week has been interesting. As a business, the storm threatened the loss of money. I was joking with my wife the other day. I got home and I got a text as I'm sitting, or an email as I'm sitting in my truck getting ready to walk back into the infirmary. That has been our house. And the email said, it's from Mint. If you guys ever subscribed to Mint, I think it's a, a financial thing. It says, Mint, the question was, where has your money gone this week? I can tell you where it's gone. Not in my bank. As a person, the storm threatened my reputation. I mean, in a, in a business with sales, your reputation is everything. Got a text right before I walked up here. Please send your check to this address. Okay. As a family, storm threatens our comfort. And what the Lord has been revealing is peeling back the ugly layers of my heart. That's what these storms do. God doesn't say, come follow me so I can make you go through misery and suffering because I am a God who is sadistic. But he says, I love you and I want you to walk through the storm so you can see the depths of your heart and know how much I love you. My heart, my heart's love of comfort, my heart's love of control, my heart's love 
and lack of, I should say, trust. I've been reading through the, some of the Old Testament prophets, which is super fascinating, and, and some are difficult, some are, are fun, some are interesting, and I just started the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, I'm sure you're all reading that one. Habakkuk. You probably didn't even know it was a book of the Bible. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, like, what, three chapters long? But it starts out in, in Habakkuk's complaint. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? When we are in the storms of life, whatever those circumstances are, and I guarantee that if I sat down with each and every one of you, there would be something going on in your life. And you would say, God, how long will you not hear my prayer? God, how long will I mu- must I go on in this way? How long? And this book is broken into complaints and answers. And after Habakkuk's complaint of how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, the answer from the Lord is this. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And I wonder for how many of us, as we walk through the storms of life, we sit here and we say, how long? And we aren't willing to wait and and sit and wonder and be astonished at the work that the Lord is doing. But I was reminded during our prayer time this morning, the end of Habakkuk, I haven't gotten to it yet, so they spoiled the ending for me. Actually, I've read it before and it was a good reminder. Habakkuk chapter 3 starting at verse 17, is the reminder we ought to all carry in storms and trials. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What is Habakkuk's response? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's feet. He makes me tread on my high places. You sit here and you say, well, in the midst of my storm, I don't have a whole lot to be thankful for. I don't have a whole lot to hold on to. I don't have a whole lot of hope and encouragement. And I'm struggling and I'm sitting here in depression and despair. And I don't know what's next and I don't know what to do. And, and, and the fears are creeping in. And I don't know. Well, here's my word for you this morning. He is in the stern. He's in the boat with you. He's right there within reaching distance. And He's ready to come and comfort you. Don't go to Him with accusations. Why do you not care? But go to Him. Because He's right there. What an incredible word that the Lord is always there. He's invited you to go with Him, not so that you can go by yourself, but that He can be there with you. I don't know how to finish this whole message my watch is vibrating telling me the time is up and i've been thinking through you know what am i gonna how am i gonna wrap this up what is our application you know the lord just i know that there are people hurting i know that there are people struggling this morning 
I don't know all the circumstances, but I know that they are real. And I would encourage us this morning to just find somebody near you. To share with them your storm that you are going with, going through, and to just pray with each other. To pray that the Lord would remind you that He is there with you, that you would not have to ask the question, what am I afraid of? But you would ask the question, what am I looking forward to the Lord doing? And so I would just encourage us as Stephen plays that we would just find somebody. And I guarantee you, if you ask somebody around you, what is the storm, the difficulty in your life? I can promise you that there is something. Life is not always filled with joy. And, and let me rephrase that. Life is not always bright, shiny. Sometimes the clouds are very real. It poured yesterday. You know how much fun it is to bleach things when it's pouring rain? We worked for 10 hours yesterday bleaching things and, and, and dealing with things. And the Lord is reminding me this morning through the faithfulness of, of our body that though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit of the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Because the body of Christ is called to meet one another and to encourage each other with these words. And to remind ourselves when we forget He is there in the stern. So let's do that this morning. I'm going to pray, and then I just encourage you to find somebody. Take a few minutes, pray with them, encourage them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You that You are in control of all things. In the midst of storms, with the loss of relationships, with the loss of life, with the loss of, of all kinds of things, Lord, You are there. And we forget we run around trying to empty the boat. We try and work things out on our own, but we don't turn to You. It makes me wonder if You're just watching and waiting for us to just come. So Lord, I pray that the body would be the body this morning. That we would come alongside of one another. That we would encourage each other. That we would remind each other He is right there in the stern. Lord, we thank You. We thank You. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.